Hello and welcome back to the Evolving Hockey Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm joined by the Evolving Wild Twins, Luke and Josh. I think I usually say Josh and Luke, don't you I? You do. I was going to say that you, fl- switched you, you, you switched it up. To I tried to switch there. it up and then I didn't remember which one I know. <laughs> Normally do. we just do Josh and Luke because that's alphabetical. So. Yeah. Makes That's, more and, and flows better. And I came first. I'm the oldest. <laughs> Josh is the oldest. <laughs> Luckily, tonight we have uh, a fourth person that will be coming on in a couple minutes uh, to join us and and hopefully take away some of the pain of of listening to the three of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have Mike Murphy coming on, um, who's terrific in the uh, women's hockey space, and uh, we've we've already recorded this now, and I can say. It might honestly be end up being like our best episode. Like I really enjoyed it. I thought yeah. Mike was great. Oh, I thought yeah, Mike was awesome. He's just incredibly knowledgeable about that, that you know women's hockey and the history of it and kind of the current status of everything. I mean, I you know, and there's yeah, Mike is really just the best. And there's just so much information. I think there's just he has just a, such a good knowledge of the game and like the current environment. And especially, I think the thing that I I had read about and heard about, but just the the evolution of like the off season and like this this current like right now i think is he really made and i don't want to we're not going to spoil it so stick around but um <laughs> there's just a lot of really great information that i that i and a lot of stuff i learned from him so yeah, yeah it was it was a, it was a blast and now you're going to listen to him even though it sounds yeah. like we haven't done this because we're just doing the intro <laughs> yes exactly no he's great and i remember like you know we we talked about having you know somebody come on for for women's hockey and like mike was was definitely it was the first person that came to my mind uh anyway and uh i remember i i do say it um in our conversation with mike but i remember him he was like late flying in he had like a a travel issue getting into ritzak in 2018 like he walked into that conference room like maybe half an hour before speaking <laughs> yeah. and he had like one of the best presentations i don't know if you guys went that year yeah yep. watch yep. that we was there the, that was the first year i think that we presented was that year yeah well. yes i think you're right and I'm, i mean the his his talk was terrific and he had clearly had a lot of passion and when we went to the yes i remember now you were at the game after when we went to that the game at that ice rink that me and and chris got kicked out of Uh, (laughs) i i talked to mike for like at least like an hour just like we did right now he's just he's super down to earth and very passionate knowledgeable and just a terrific person yeah Yeah. so you'll get all of the information about him but he's at dig deep bsb on twitter um and at the ice garden and uh i don't know it, it was funny he 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 was saying how he has a lot of stuff with blue shirts banter he's been involved with uh, their hockey counts is a, we- uh, a hockey stats website for um for the women's leagues uh it's it's just great so uh yeah stick around yeah so we won't do any geography we'll go right to that no that ad. conversation now <laughs> no ad <laughs> we don't have a new sponsor no new sponsors just straight to the conversation Oh, sorry, Sean. That was your uh, your lead in. You were doing. We could a do lead whatever. In. We could do whatever. We could even leave this in. <laughs> have we ever done this? Have we ever done like an actual like little intro bit and then go to the com- yes? I don't think we have. No, no, we we've won it. But this, yeah. I think it's the first out time of for that. Everything. Out of that, either Josh can cut it short. Or Stick around for Mike Murphy. It's great. Welcome back. We have Mike Murphy with us here tonight, or whenever you're listening, maybe it's daytime, 
who is the deputy managing editor of Blue Shirt Banter, The Ice Garden. He's a co-creator of Bench Bosses and creator of Their Hockey Counts. He does a lot of stuff, it's it's safe to say, uh, but a terrific person, and we are so glad that he took the time to talk with us about uh, women's hockey today. How are you, Mike? Doing good. I need to. Did I? Last thing it sounds like because that's that's my first priority after this podcast is to quit some of the things I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that we want you to do any of that unless you know. <laughs> so I guess Mike, maybe we'll start off. Um, this is our first time talking about women's hockey on this podcast. We uh, the evolvinghockey.com focuses on the NHL, and, and we spend most of our time talking about men's hockey. And so we thought it's summer, it would be a great time to learn a little bit more, um, especially for our listeners, about women's hockey. And, you know, so you're a big, I guess, um, presence in the space. I remember you coming to Ritzak in 2018 and giving a, a great talk, and your passion really came out in that talk, I thought, and uh, left an impression on me. And so you're the perfect guest to have on. And... I think maybe we, we could start out with a little bit of a short summary for somebody who is like completely new to women's hockey. Um, like what does the landscape look like? What are the leagues? Um, maybe some of the differences between women's hockey and the men's game, particularly like, I guess with rules, there's a couple of different um, rules. So like what would be sort of uh, a good summary? Yeah. So this is a really fascinating off season for the women's game in general, just because, um, this is really like every year I've been covering it. I've been covering the women's game since 2015. It's this ongoing story of like, oh, the landscape shifted. Oh, it shifted again. There's another earthquake. Like the tectonic plates moved again. Okay. You know, like everything keeps changing. But this offseason has been so remarkable because there's millions and millions of dollars of investments specifically in the pro game, which is really what a lot of the conversation is about. We know how great the international game is. Um, most hockey fans, even those who are only really invested in the NHL and the men's game, know all about the rivalry of USA and Canada, how it's the best rivalry in sports. Um, but what really stands out to me about this offseason is we have the PHF, which was formerly the NWHL, for those who may have heard of that league. They have a couple, I think it's $25 million invested in the league over the next couple of years. So teams moving forward. Uh, we just had an expansion team in Montreal have a salary cap of 750k for a minimum roster of 20, a max roster of 25. So you have a minimum salary of 13.5k. But the most important thing really is that outside of those national team players, the players that those of us in North America know the most, your Hillary Knights, your Marie Philippe Goulans, your Sarah Nurses. Players outside of that pool can start making a real living wage now playing the pro game, which hasn't truly been the case before. Uh, before this offseason, some of the biggest salaries we saw were in like the 26K range, right? It's it's wildly different. We heard some talk of players making closer to a living wage last season. I think someone on the Riveters that may have been the case for. Um, but it's different this year because we actually have numbers. We have reports. We have Jeff Merrick and other folks reporting on these big deals. So that's a big change. And then we have the PWHPA, which is, it's tricky because it's the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. 
but it's not a true PA mm-hmm. and it's not a true league, but they're building towards a league. And they are, Haley Salvian and Jeff Merrick have re- reported that there's going to be just as much, if not more money invested there. And there's going to be a league there. And um, so this landscape, even as we talk, is still coming together and changing. Um, and that's what I think is the most exciting thing about the game right now is everything we know about the post-collegiate game, which is kind of like the catch-all because you'll have people say, is it really professional if it's not the living wage? You know, is it if you're making 13000 are you professional? In my opinion, if you're getting paid to play, you're a pro. Um, and, you know, people can get into the weeds talking about that. But we're getting towards players having all the resources they should more and more players making a true living wage, more and more players who are in a position to say, you know, I can quit my day job because my day job is hockey now. And that's really exciting that it's not just for a select group of 25 or 50 players from Team USA and Team Canada who are on like a national, they're on like a stipend. When you qualify for the team, you get a stipend that covers your training costs, your cost of living, and you essentially make enough to, to get by. So you're covered. And then hopefully you have sponsorship deals and endorsements and yada, yada, yada. So the world as we know it, women's hockey is changing. Um, and that's just the North American side. There's a European side. There's there's all sorts of things. But I know you also asked about the differences of the men's and women's game. I can launch into that now. I know there's a whole bunch of things to go to. Well, I, yeah, I, I think uh, I'd like to get there. I was kind of curious right now. So there's, I believe there were six teams in the PHF last season, and they're just adding a team in Montreal coming into this next season, correct? Yeah, so it was the Toronto Six were the most recent expansion team before Montreal, and this was something that the PHF had had its eyes on, really, since year one, since 2015, where they wanted to expand into Canada, and it felt like that was something they really drove towards doing. It It was a real concentrated effort to do that after the collapse of the CWHL which was the Canadian Women's Hockey League, which in many ways was the precursor and for a time the competitor of what is now the PHF. Before the before the CWHL, there was a different league called the NWHL. Before that, there's the WWHL. So we've had a post-collegiate pro game for a very long time um, in the States and in Canada. It's just only gotten recently. 2015 was the first time players are actually making money to play professionally so the history of this game is the pro game specifically is still really in its early stages and people a lot of people especially you know big voices in a in the nhl who who chime in on this or say like why isn't there one league why don't we just have one league wouldn't it be simpler and you know the thing i always point to people is it takes time and also the thing that i've kind of my thinking has evolved over the last year or two where I see it as like if there's two leagues and they're both offering different things to their players, more benefits, um, things like maternity leave, things, these conversations that come up with a national team, like these things that should be covered for professional athletes, better health insurance, um, you know, a true, we still need to see the PHF and the other league, the PWHPA league is what I call it because it doesn't have a name. Um, they don't have CBAs because they don't have true players association so you have these you have a players association in the phf that what is its negotiating power it doesn't have a cba right so there's this tricky thing of you have to work with the league hand in hand and kind of march in step to what it wants to do 
while also advocating for things your players need. So it's a really fascinating space. And it's funny because as I've covered the women's game, I've had to unlearn a lot of these things that I just took for granted covering the NHL and, and following the Rangers. Just like, oh, yeah, there's of course there's a Players Association. Of course, it is like both yeah. adversarial and collaborative at times with the league itself. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you can't have any of those assumptions, right? It's a very different animal. It's a very different beast. You have to kind of take everything uh, with a grain of salt and understand it's a process. And the end goal for everyone is how do we make things more stable? How do we make this sustainable? And that's really what the main conversation is between, you know, those in the PWHPA and those in the PHF is what's the most sustainable model? And then you run into the question of how do you get investors to invest in professional women's sports? And that's a much bigger question, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I think that it's been, like, in terms of, like, I guess that this kind of brings up for me, I've seen the, like, in terms of where people can watch these players play, it seems like it's been an, also an evolving, you know, like, because it was on Twitch for a bit, and then it was on, it was, I believe, like, I can't even remember, like, where I watched, like, the Isabel Cup games. It was ESPN Plus, right? They had, they had on NBCSN for... Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Playoffs were on NBCSN, yeah. Um, so it seems like it seems like there's been, from my impression, is there's been more sponsors that are coming on, and they're getting it into like onto ESPN Plus, for instance, which makes it very easy to watch. So is that kind of your impression? It, how how do you feel that is that going to kind of continue to grow, where it's going to get that type of like coverage and people and easily be like watchable for most people who are interested in, in kind of checking it out. Well, so I always think of back in like 2015, when I first started getting into it, the NWHL had games on YouTube and they had games like just streaming games. Like, yeah, you just YouTube. It's free. It's easy. Right. Um, the CWHL only had some games that it streamed. And I was like, what? And at the time I was trying to start to track games and I was like, Oh, so I can't, there's no video of this game anywhere. I was like, so we, what does that mean for tracking? It just means, oh, you can't track, yeah. you know, like 80% of the games of the season, right? And I think of that, and now I think of where we are now, which is deals with ESPN Plus, and, you know, you're on NBCSN for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I, I actually thought, like, Twitch was great because it kind of lined up and aligned with, like, the, the core audience, of the women's game, which is, you know, primarily young people. Um, and that was really successful. And a lot of people were actually kind of like grumpy that it was, that it left Twitch. They're like, why not have to be on ESPN plus now I have to subscribe to that. Um, but it's, it is the big question that with this is always access people who give women's hockey a chance and they, because, you know, everyone's like, yeah, that game USA Canada was unbelievable. It was everything I thought it would be. And then I'll just wait another year to watch the next one, you know, but there's, there's an entire world of women's hockey that's there. And, uh, I think when that accessibility is there, we get better coverage. I think we get more investors. Um, you know, it's something that a lot of my peers talk about a lot is there's a lot of folks in the content space on major platforms who will write these big stories that are just like, you know, oh, there's a rift between the two groups and, oh, there's this, there's a scandal or whatever, but people aren't writing like analysis. Um, people aren't yeah. going to the games, game in, game out, writing stories about like, who is the best, like, who is the best second power play unit in the league? Like, those are yeah. the stories that I try to write. 
And it's, it's fun because it's people acknowledge that and it feels good, but also like it needs to get bigger and better for more people to engage with that stuff. It feels like most people are just engaged in the like, who do we care about now? What's is it one league? Is it two league? What's going on? Like that's those are the stories that get published. Um, and I feel like when we have more eyeballs on things and more people get a chance to have actually access to these games and these leagues, the sport will grow and benefit from better storytelling. And that's really what we need. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. It's funny because I've I've had that thought as like, okay, so in hockey, in the NHL, for instance, people love, like, I mean, maybe this is just me talking about it, but like people really like to really criticize their team, favorite team's GM for decisions that they make, right? So it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to seeing this progress in the women's game when, <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't look forward to it, but like to the getting to the point of analysis where like, fans are like oh this player is absolutely terrible you know or like you know like it's just kind of going to be funny to see like i hopefully you know with the way it's going it seems like that's something where like you know like you said getting into the analysis of it where you can kind of see more of like discovering maybe underreported or under covered players that are nobody knows about right and and i think that's kind of with from a statistical point that's kind of always been a driver and especially for you somebody who's doing analysis that has to be something that's pretty exciting trying to get dig in deeper to find those kind of not just the big name players that everybody sees at the olympics but maybe somebody that nobody's heard of that's just kind of crushing it in you know that nobody really knows about you know <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you say that because I've had so many conversations with people, um, including some very influential people in, in the hockey world about like, uh, no one wants to read the story of like, you know, who had a really shitty game on the national team? Like, we're, no one feels like we're ready for that yet. I think yeah, in, in the pro game specifically, like, I'm not here to write a story about a player who I know just flew in for just to play this weekend yeah. is making like a couple hundred bucks a game. If that, and tell everyone that she played like crap, like yep. that's not the story I want to write. That's not the story that helps the game right now. Um, and I, like those ideas still pop into my head because I had to write about Glenn Sather's Rangers for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's reflexes you can't get rid of. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I had to grow up with Sandy McCarthy on the first line of the Rangers. So I, there's, I've seen some things. Um, but it's funny because I feel like even in in the space now, I know we were going to touch on this later of like where we have disclosed salaries. People are, you know, media and fans are saying like, how is she only making that much? That's insane. Yeah. And I've had players tell me like, it's really weird and feels kind of not great to have people say you're not making as much as you should. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks, huh? And it's like. But here's the thing, it'll get this. These are the conversations we hope to have. We hope yeah. to have teams in a position where you can lure a big, big free agent, like we saw with uh, Michaela Grant Mentis getting 80K for a year to leave Toronto to play in Buffalo, which was a record setting deal. And then you hope to have these conversations of like, oh, you know what? She might not be worth her contract. But when her contract is 13,500, let's not yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's. We we don't need to have that conversation to crush someone uh, who's just most of these people like the players I talk to like they know who's the best players in the league they know when they have had a bad game like I talk to players after they had the game of their life after they had a really crappy game and the, they 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 hold themselves accountable just like any other pro would but I don't think anyone in this space is in a rush to be like 
Yeah, she missed like three open nets. I don't know. Like uh, she yeah. sucked. Tonight. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not a tweet yeah. I want to write. You know. Yeah. That's also like one of the interesting things. I think it's a a benefit if you have like a team in in your um city is that with the women's game it's so much more you have so much more access to the players yeah like i remember so when i was a freshman in college which wasn't too long ago it was like 2016 <laughs> but i uh i volunteered with the boston pride and like this is back when um that was basically like the olympic team like the u.s olympic team like every yeah. night was on the team um and uh, which was really cool. I also got to do like a game from the penalty box. And I remember after each game, they'd have an autograph session in the like lobby of, of warrior ice arena. And they would switch off evens and odds um, for who would have duties to have to go do autographs. And you'd have like lines with all these like little kids and, you know, going through and getting autographs from, from the players and they talk to them and like the access is, is quite remarkable and it like definitely it's like a striking difference i mean i know we 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 freak out when we we see like a someone captured a comment of like brad marshall has on instagram right and yeah, it ends yeah. on twitter and we all lose our minds fans and media interact with players in the women's game on social media all day every day they're on social media like the barrier between the players and the media and fans is is much much smaller and much thinner and i think it makes it for a really fascinating community um it's one of the reasons i ended up getting so drawn into it and so wrapped up in it as you talk to these players you're like oh yeah you know you're probably one of the best hundred players in the world and someone who tells you they love hockey couldn't tell you this person's name and that was that really made me pause and think because a year or two before i started covering it i wouldn't have known that person's name and so I said to myself, like, someone's needed, someone needs to tell your story. It's crazy that people aren't talking about you. You're so good, right? And uh, that's what really got things started is you start to connect with these people. And then, like you said, Sean, like, it, I mean, the only exception was COVID. Like, players meet fans. They interact with fans. They're right there. Like, and, you know, fans embrace, like, wholeheartedly embrace the players who are present on social media, who interact with them. Like they're invested. It's it's a really different space in the men's game, and I think really for the better. But you do run into the weird things of like, uh, you know, like if someone has a dirty hit or something, it's like, oh, that was knee on knee. But you know, we all love her, but she may have just destroyed. <laughs> yeah, she may have yeah. just destroyed that other player's knee. Hopefully, we'll see her on the ice. But um, it's funny though because there's this there's this sense of accountability, a sense of like um of how you interact with people you know no one in the media goes out of the way to drag any players um i don't know it's, it's just a little less hostile which is nice yeah well and so I, I guess switching gears here a little bit you mentioned this uh um a little bit before but it, this is i believe the first year that it's w with salary disclosure is that what it is or with tracking salaries is that kind of what's going on this this off season so it's it's interesting the very first year and then the second year of the then NWHL, they had something called cap pro which they had every player in it's mind you this is the league it's not an independent party had every player's salary because every contract was a one-year deal so we have salary data from year one 2015-16 and then we had it the initial salaries what they were supposed to be in 2016-17 
before the league ran into financial problems, then slashed everyone's salaries without their consent in season two. And then somehow after that happened, we no longer had uh, public salaries. <laughs> Wonder why it happened that Ooh, way, right? Why? Um, yeah. Um, and then in 2019-20, the league said something along the lines of like, it's up to the players to disclose. And we had, you know, I think approximately 125 players in the league and we had five salaries. Okay. Um, and that was a big sticking point for me. I thought about that. And then when um when I think it was I think it was Merrick who who, who mentioned how much Michaela Grant Mentis would make in the neighborhood of eighty thousand for one year to play with Buffalo. And I said to myself, like, I want this not just to have analysis and not just so that we can do things like one of my favorite things with knowing salaries that I take for granted in the in the men's game is like fans can hold their teams accountable if you're a cap floor team they're like why aren't you spending more money why are you the yeah, arizona yeah. coyotes why do you have you know the zombie of andrew ladd and you call that you know <laughs> yeah. how do you build a successful team um and when this league specifically the phf is all these headlines about all this investment all this money and then we don't know what players are making it's it's not great um, and I had a lot of conversations with players, um, and it was really clear to me that the vast, vast majority of them negotiate their own contracts. And also, if you're new to the league, you've never negotiated a pro contract for yourself before. You know, th those who've been around for a minute have done it before, but a lot of them go into it not knowing what the hell they're getting into and not knowing, you know, if you go in there as like someone who's regarded as like a backup goalie, let's say. And you say, I want to make 35K. And then the GM who you're negotiating with says, like, that's ridiculous. I can find another backup goalie who will do this for the league minimum. And you may have just spoiled your chances of getting to play pro this year. And that's $13,500 that you might have had that you won't have. That changes your life, right? That's a huge, huge problem. If you just think of it on the individual human being level. And so I, my whole thing was... I mean, Normally what I do for most things it, it, with hockey is I'm going to make a sheet. Um, <laughs> and that's how this started was a public sheet. And I just reached out to players. I like, like I've been pretty candid about this. I have good relationships with a lot of players. And I reached out to uh, the player reps of the PA. I just, whatever players had open DMs, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. I think if we have shared salaries, if we have disclosed salaries, it directly benefits players because every salary we know helps other players negotiate their deals to make as much as they can. Um, I'm of the opinion that like success for the women's game looks like what that, when that minimum salary is a true living wage, regardless of where you are, that's what victory kind of looks like to me. Right. I don't care how many leagues it is. I don't care any of that crap. <laughs> yeah. If everyone's making enough to make a living, it's a win. We're, we, we got to the finish line of what success is. So I think that when we have public salaries or disclosed salaries, whatever you want to say, it's salary transparency, it goes a long way. I mean, I think of it's still interesting to me how it evolved on the men's side of the game and, and how, you know, like you make a site with salary data, someone hires you, right? <laughs> like that's, yeah, that was yeah. the history of the men's side of the game, um, which is really interesting. 
And I guess in, in, in I, I was reading about this a little bit, and I think for some people maybe there, there's a salary cap in the in the um, I guess the PHF, and it's been kind of increasing, like you mentioned before, correct? So it's kind of a similar environment, right? Or is am I off off base? There? No, yeah, it, it's it's grown like it it plateaued after the money got cut in year two. It plateaued, and then it slowly built up, and it really more than doubled. So it went from I think it was 300k to 750k from last season to this season so all of a sudden you're looking at the same roster size you need a minimum of 20 right and you know you do the math people can make you know the thing that i think is can be the most misleading is it's not the average right like what's the mode what's the most common salaries we see but like what i want to know is that common range that most players fall into because that tells us what it's actually like to be a pro player. Can you make a living or not? Do you fall into this specific bracket? Um, but it's, you know, when you look at it, like players I spoke to, I had to, like, I consulted with a few players trying to help them with stat stuff. Um, just be like, this is how good you are. Look at how many primary assists you have at even strength. Bring this up when you're negotiating your deal. Um, but the other thing I pointed to players, because it was a big deal. And, you know, I, one of those things I talked to, I know you you all know Shana Goldman, how wonderful she is. Like any project that I do, I, I ask Shana to help me sound smarter is generally how I've gotten to where I am now. Um, yeah. But I would just tell players like, do you know what cap percentages? Do you know what the scaling cap means and based on what you made last year? So players could say, this is what I made last year when the cap is this. It's not really a raise just because I'm making more money. I want to make the same percentage of the cap. And that's conversations players could have that maybe they didn't know they could have. But arming players with those resources is a big deal. Because um, it well, levels huge, the playing yeah. field, right? Yeah. 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 And there are some players that, that are being represented, correct? Like, it's not, I believe on that sheet, you have a couple of different representatives slash agents. Yeah. The, I mean, there's a couple, the, generally the experience I've had is most, most, players who have representation have representation specifically for endorsement deals um in fact i know there are players who negotiated their own deals then picked up an agent specifically for endorsement deals um but there are like i would say it's i, I think we can comfortably say it's a minority where they have agents and representation because there's only so many agencies that are you know frankly reputable that work with women's hockey players and then for the most part, my impression has been, I, I shouldn't say that I know this, but this is just my opinion, that they're kind of selective with their clientele. And they work with national team players. They work with, you know, the Hillary Knights of the world. They work with the Marie-Philippe Poulans of the world. And um, I mean, Emily Castonguay was Pooh's agent, right? So you have these, it's, a, it's weird because you almost have like those who have the national team exposure, the stipends, and and I'm not saying it's an easier world for them because they're obviously very talented, but they have access to resources that those players who fall outside of that 50 Team USA team Canada players don't have. And one of those things is probably access to something like an agent that can help you. Um, and it's a big deal when you think about someone making 15K to play you know, how much of a percentage do you give an agent of your contract when you're only making 15K? Yeah. It's pretty rough to yeah. give even five, 
10% of that up, right? It's, it's a huge problem. Um, but there are reps, like there are agencies out there. There are, it's, it seems like it's growing. Um, I also, I'm of the opinion that we might have some folks in this space who look at it as I want to have women's hockey clients to build up to men's hockey clients. Um, and that's just like this unavoidable truth. I think of professional sports is people look at the women's side of athletics as an opportunity to get to where more money is worth more money yeah. in, in, in men's athletics. Right. So, um, it's a really interesting space that I admittedly know very little about, but I try to know as much as I can about what's out there because, you know, I've been covering the women's game since 2015 before I started actually caring. I, I couldn't tell you like th the names of three or four player agents. I had to like go seek them out. And then I said like, Hey, I'll add your name to the sheet. Who are you? And like, it kind of came out of the woodwork a little bit. I think the list is that I got at 10 now. And it's like, okay, how many of you have current players in the league? And it seems like they all do, which is interesting to me that players are signing there and they have endorsement deals. Um, it's it's definitely a part of the world I don't understand as well as I'd like to, but there's only kind of only so many things I can kind of yeah. understand and take yeah, a bite out of. You can't do everything there, Mike. No, <laughs> not quite. Otherwise, the, the Twitter bio gets longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting um, for like outsiders, I think, to when we look at like women's sports specifically, they're a little bit more behind in, in growth, right? Like they're they've started more recently than a lot of men's sports, right? The NHL started over 100 years ago. And we're already talking about like salary transparency and, and some players now being able to have living wages already. And like it took the NFL until the mid 80s to finally have salary transparency. And I remember when I was in my economics of sport class in college, like I've never been able to verify this, but my professor at least said that uh, like um, there's a, I think this is like an 83 that whoever the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback was at the time, I don't know off the top of my head, was getting paid less than the backup quarterback because there was no transparency. You didn't know what other players were making. You had no comparables. And yeah. each negotiation was on its own, which I think kind of like speaks to the importance of, of salary disclosures for these players because if they don't have any sort of comparable to go off of, then in, in they're representing themselves as well. That's a really scary environment to go into. So I think that's quite, um, it's still quite a feat to be at least getting on this path. Yeah. Well, and also I think that, that, that like kind of provides a player with another thing to kind of bargain with, right. And negotiate their own salary mm -hmm. when they can look to another player and say, Hey, check out, you know, how many like, look at their stats. Like, look at how many, you know, like, I played every game. I've got X so-and-so, you know, like you said, primary assist and all this, th all these things. It's like, they're making this much money. Check me out. Why don't I make that much money? You know, it's kind of a similar thing there where if you, when you have salary, salary transparency, it kind of helps every player, well, I would say. I guess on that topic, I, I'm kind of curious. So our, and this is just, I'm, we're still in obviously free agent mode, but like, do you, um, in the, I, I guess in, in the, the women's game are, players paid for, for things that are kind of on a similar kind of, you know, goals, assists, 
time and ice, or are there other things that are kind of more important or more like, um, I guess, different? Is there a kind of a, the environment in terms of like who gets paid what similar? Or is there, you know, which can lead us into kind of some more stats talk because of that, you know, that's kind of the, the podcast, you know. But uh, I was just kind of curious, is there a comparison there? Um, not to com- keep comparing it back to the NHL, but it's just kind of interesting to think about how players or, are paid because that's on my mind. Or right maybe now. it's like what in your kind of like your summary or on average what do players in the women's game get paid for like in your view i would say i mean just because of what we have i mean i think about this a lot like perceived value versus value i think about a lot when we talk about nhl contracts right like like i know just listening to the show today i was telling sean like this is the one i've episode of Welding Hockey I'm not going to listen to because I'm on it. But uh, like you saw what Patrick Laine gets paid, right? It's a, and why does Patrick Laine get what he get what he makes? He scores goals. And as much as I love Yarmo and everything, like goals are that valuable to the Yarmo Kekalainen and, and to the Blue yeah. Jackets. That they'll say, can he play defense? Can he drive play? Uh, he scores goals. That'll be okay, right? We'll, yeah. we'll play him with Johnny Goudreau. Um, and I think about perceived value um, – and versus actual value in the women's game. And like a lot of it is just how do we evaluate players in women's hockey is, is an ongoing conversation. Most of the ideas we have, most of the blueprints we have are just torn straight from the men's game. Who's scoring goals? Are you hopefully not going to the penalty box a lot? Are you, you know, I, I don't know how many teams think of things like, um, you know, like how much of your production is based on power play. I think a lot of what we see, or at least in my opinion, a lot of what we've seen this offseason is perceived value attached to marketability marketability, and your reputation. Specifically, if you're a player who was on the U18 teams for Team Canada or USA, or if you're a player who at one point was in the picture for Team USA or Team Canada, you're a more desirable player to these teams. We're seeing those players get, in my opinion, more money. Even if they are something of an unknown commodity within the PHF, their reputation is so strong that general managers are saying, we know you're so good. You made Team USA at one point. You were in that conversation. We want you. We'll pay you this much. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting to me because you have players who I know of a couple examples, some of which you know I can't really talk about from, from you know talking to players where Players have kind of who've established themselves and are really good players and all stars kind of getting screwed over because money that was set aside for them all of a sudden might be set aside for someone who has this Team USA pedigree. Um, and it's like, well, this player had all these points at even strength. She was responsible for this percentage of like the primary points at even strength, and this team sucked at even strength. So they're even. She's even more important, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so why? Why is the other player getting signed? And the the answer, I think, is this, the question of it's a new attractive name. It's a player that someone can say this player has that that like glint of Team USA or Team Canada on them, um, which is really fascinating because it's not something you really see in the men's game. But I think, you know, part of, I think Michaela Grimentis is, you know, probably the best like if she's one of the most entertaining players to watch period for me she's one of those players like whenever you see a player able to beat people one-on-one in hockey 
it just blows your brain up. You're like, I didn't think yeah. you could do that. I thought you had to use other people to get around people. But yeah. she's one of those people that's just like, yeah, I'll go through you. Whatever. <laughs> it's not a big deal for me. Um, and you think of the deal she makes. And I know part of it is like, she's valuable. How valuable is she? It's, she's 80K of a 750K cap. It's a lot of, that's a big cap percentage, right? And it you is, look at yeah. like, why is she that valuable? Not only is she two years removed from being an MVP, not only is she a player who's still developing newer prime or what we understand to be a prime in the women's game, but also I think she's one of the most marketable players in the league. Like fans adore her. Like teams want to like sponsors are attracted to a player like that. She's a success story. She's a success story of the pro women's game. She just got invited to team Canada's national camp after being overlooked for years and years. And it's like, why wouldn't you pay someone like Michaela Grant Mentis a little extra just to lure her away from Toronto to say, we're Buffalo. We're the perpetual underdogs of the league. Now we have the best player in the league and one of the most exciting names in all of women's hockey. So I think those are factors we probably don't see a lot in, in the men's game of like this player is going to put butts in seats. Right. I mean, I think we talk about that sometimes with like smaller market teams in the NHL, like, you know, I don't know how uh, it's hard to gauge how excited people in Arizona are for <laughs> or were for like Phil Kessel being there. But, you know, like, hey, we have a guy that you've heard of. right? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's that kind of thing, I think. But it's more I think it resonates in a different way in the women's game. Whereas this player, you know, this player is special because you've seen her on other teams or you've seen her on the national team. And she's here now. She's yours now. And I think teams will play will pay a premium for that, which is interesting. So when I start the eighth expansion team in the PHF <laughs> in Hartford, um, <laughs> what's the state of analytics right now? Like where are we sitting? How far away are we from adding PHF to evolving uh, dash hockey.com? Oh, I don't, I don't think we're going to be doing that anytime soon. <laughs> Wait, you know, I'd love to. Out. I'll listen I'd love off. to. <laughs> oh yeah we'd love to but there are plenty the thing is there are people in the space and we should talk we need to talk about those people who are already yeah. doing great work yeah there's it's so like, many yeah we've you know i've I, i'll say that like we there's been a lot of i guess opportunities for us to start and get into it but it's kind of like there's already so many people who are doing it it's like well we don't want to also we're, we've just been like you know, we have a lot of stuff on our plate already. That I mean, and so it's like, so please. Sorry, Luke. You Luke, took it too rambling literally, here. Luke. Yeah. I am okay. <laughs> okay, I took it. I took it too literally. Let's. So let's get into. Yeah. Answer, sorry, Josh. You're gonna have to edit this out later. Yeah. We'll, this, yeah. I'm gonna edit. This will get edited out. Don't worry about it. Don't um, make me look like a fool. Sorry. Here. Maybe okay. Sean, state the question one more time, and then we can get back on track. I guess. What's the state of analytics? What am I using to bring my Hartford team um, an Isabel Cup? So if you. If you're owned by the owner of most of the teams in the league, uh, you'll probably have access to uh, to stuff that's the that teams have access to, namely Stathletes and Instat, which is behind for someone like me in the media is behind a paywall, specifically Instat. I'm not even Megan's wonderful, by the way. I should make it clear she goes out of her way to advance things and advance things in the public space. Um, but you know, there's there's decisions that teams can make and general managers can make and hockey operations folks can make based on data they have. The data in, you know, the, it's at, for the Lake Placid season, I had a media 
access to the instat data it was it was unbelievable because i had time on ice data which i've never had before for the yeah. pro women's game and if you think you think doing uh data-driven analysis is hard try to do it without race statistics where you can yeah. be like how good is this player i think she played a lot so <laughs> yeah she had seven shots which seems really good how often was she on the ice i couldn't tell you um but uh like there is the stuff in, in the private space, which you know teams have access to, coaches have access to, players should have access to. Um, then there's the stuff in the public space, which I think the more things that exist in the public space, the faster this all grows because you need people working in the public sphere to advance things, to do things with what's available, to show what can be done with women's hockey data. And for the most part, that's box score scraping. Um, it's folks who develop tools like NW, NW Hockey E by Michael Nehebedian, who I probably butchered his name, but it's he's our dom of, of the women's hockey world. No one can do his name. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there's, there's the tools that's in the public space. Like I do, like, what is their hockey counts? Like I've been up front since day one. All I do is I go into box scores and I manually manually mine that data. I just identify where goals happen, and I just say, "Was what's the strength? Who are the primary assists?" And then I break it down. Sean got the ball rolling with game score in the women's game. All I really did was add primary points to it, and then to this day, I still don't know how to do good game score for goalies because it's just too hard. Yeah, um, it's goalies goalies <laughs> goalies are just yeah. you think they're hard to evaluate in the men's game i tell you it's it's unbelievable but um yeah there's the best thing about the data space is the people because there are people who like when people get into it or they want to get into it i just say you know how like that show macgyver where he would have like a roll of duct tape and a bunch of q-tips and he would somehow make like a rocket launcher that's what we have to do in the women's hockey world we have such finite resources and we have to get creative you have to innovate you have to like work around i'll never forget i think of this all the time i wanted to just have like a shot volume metric there's a player called kelly stedman who played for the buttes and the nwhl tracked shots on goal and shots that were blocked but not missed shots so it wasn't Corsi and it wasn't fenwick it was this other thing I was like, this is a shot volume metric. It's garbage, but it's something, <laughs> right? It's different than shots on goal. It's It tells me shots that got to the net and were saved, or they went in the net, or they were blocked by a defender. And so I was playing around with it. And I was like, I can use this to identify high volume shooters. And I can compare their steady, I called the stat, versus their shots on goal, and just get an idea of like who makes good shot choices. And not surprisingly, like players who played defense had really bad steady scores because they took shots from far away that got blocked. You know, yeah, it's, it was very, it was very clear what to expect when I, when I did the work there, but it was still something, but like, that's kind of a good example of what is out there. Sean is like, not a lot, but darn, we're trying, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> I'm kind of rolling up our sleeves and doing our best. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was curious as the league is obviously expanding and 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 evolving. Um, do you see the public work? I mean, is there going to be more like potentially more um, you know public data, or is there going to be more um, maybe like the the as the league starts adding new sources? Like, do you think do you see there like being more that kind of starts to come into the public, or um, you know, and and at a similar rate that we're evolving from the salary side, or is it still is it a little slower than than that? Well, it's fascinating because I I have. I have these conversations a lot with where, because when when the NWHL first came out, it had better stats than CWHL, just in terms of quantity, right? Not quality, just speaking of quantity. And then it also had more than the AHL had. And that's something that I think is important to acknowledge that, like, to this day, the PHF has a more robust public, you know, data site just you know, the PHF website than the AHL does just in terms of how many real time stats it offers as flawed as they may be and all that, like it just offers a little bit more. Um, I would love to see us get to time on ice being public. Um, I don't think it's that hard for them to do. They can just say, Hey, instat or Hey, athletes, can you do this? Can you provide us time on ice and we can put it on the site? The question always becomes, in a space where resources are so limited and everything is such a skeleton crew because it's professional women's sports, where is that on the list of priorities? Where are improving, where is improving public data on the list of priorities? Because there's folks like me and Alyssa Longmere and Carly Markey who, you know, we try to speak into a megaphone and we try to make people pay attention, but, you know, we, we can only be so loud. <laughs> like, yeah. to the point where it's like, there's other priorities that are more important. Like it just, it's not a top priority for them to have better data and more data. I I hope it happens soon. Every time we've asked this question, we've heard they, they do care. They do, they do care. That's why they've tried to, they have a partnership with athletes. They have this arrangement with Instat, right? But all that directly benefits players and teams, which is important. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like a lot is gained for fans and for media when you make that resource accessible for everyone so you can have more conversations like you know we have media voting for mvp like you know what would help when this media voting for all these awards stats stats yeah, would be yeah. a big help um yeah. yeah well i was just gonna say that it's it's kind of funny because it i know i think that the jump is a little bit hard for some people because it's like, oh, well, what are they going to do with this, right? It's like, well, what does the public need for this fork? I, you know, but I think that a lot of people, you know, there's, <laughs> they undervalue the amount of content that you can generate and interest when you have more things to talk about, which is what yeah. more statistics gives you. Like, and that's the thing that's been interesting seeing. I mean, just seeing it happen in the men's game where they did provide, like literally we have entire shift data, right? Like that's what the NHL has. And it's like, when you get that type of like that deep, you just, the amount of content that flows from having more complicated metrics and more interest in these things, it just makes like for journalists, right? It makes writing stories. Just, you have so many more tools that you can reference and it makes fans, they have much more interest that they can go look at things. And it's, I 
personally, that's just how I view it is that I think it it's like, yeah, and it's an investment, but it definitely pays off. And it's hard to see that payoff. But I think that the amount of benefits that it, it provides for a league having more stats and like obviously i'm gonna say this because like we run the statistics <laughs> website it's a little biased and because this is why i like sports right because it's like stats and stuff it's like yeah. i just think personally you see it where the more type of statistics you have the more interest it generates it just generates so much interest i think i think like to the selling point a lot for i think women's sports as a whole for sponsors to come in is the fan engagement Right, because they might not have as many fans as the men's side of things, but their fans are generally much more avid, much more dedicated. They're engaged with the league and what they're doing. And so you're going to have a higher return on your investment if you're a sponsor. And I think having analytics and having the numbers in there with an avid fan base, like, is is sort of part of that theme, right, of developing and maintaining this avid engaged fan base where um you know the nhl doesn't necessarily need that as well i think like the women's hockey uh women's side of things it it has an even higher return and you know yeah there's been like i know sports innovation lab um which angela is a hockey hall of famer you know is involved with and they've done studies about like what makes a women's sport consumer different from a men's sport consumer and everything sean said is true like if you follow women's sports, you care more about individuals. You're more invested in the brands. You're more conscious of like, is this a brand that supports my sport? I'm going to buy stuff from this brand. Like that's who, that's what women's sports consumers do, you know, statistically. And I think about this all the time to, to Luke's point is like, it enriches the experience for fans when you have that data, when you have stats. And I, to this day, I'm waiting for, you know, whichever league it is in the pro women's space, the, whichever one figures out, this is the team, op, the league operated fantasy sports. Because then you open up this whole new world. You have, like, I've always, I've tried to do some fantasy hockey stuff with women's hockey. And every time I do it, I get people who've never watched women's hockey but are obsessed with fantasy hockey. And they're like, how do I get involved? What do I need to know? And it's like, yeah, just, it's the same thing. I just, the last one I did, I did based off of, game score right it was an easy enough like how do you get fantasy points just game score done <laughs> yeah yeah um but it's one of these leagues is going to figure it out it's going to make it accessible and they're going to it's going to be a roaring success because fans will be engaged they'll have that much more engagement they'll be clicking on your site that much more they'll be, be like this is my new favorite player they're on my fantasy team they'll buy that jersey right um it's not, I think it's, I know I'm biased, but I can very easily connect the dots to why more stats helps everything and not yeah. just that, but also selfishly, I think about this all the time is, and there's a lot of examples of this is we have these preconceived notions of what success, what like events that happen in men's hockey that we take for, that we assume are true in women's hockey, like how valuable is a face off? Like, how do you carry the puck successfully into the, like, what makes someone good at zone entries in men's hockey versus the women's, versus the women's game? It's radically different. Why? Because you, you can't do an open ice hit. So, in my opinion, elite skating and specifically the elite puck carrying, like, I always think of, um, like, Lionel Messi, how he seems to be faster with the ball, 
right? And there are players in the women's game who seem faster with the puck than without it. And you just, you can't touch them. If you can't angle them off into the boards, they're, they're getting in the zone. There's nothing you can do about it because you can't hit yeah. them. You'll take a penalty. Yeah. And it, it's such this fascinating things like we haven't looked at any of that in the men's game because it's not true in the men's game. You can just obliterate a guy <laughs> if you can line him up at the blue line, right? And um, I think about that all the time is we need more of that out there so we can better understand the women's game. The more stats that are out there, we'll understand this game better. We'll be able to evaluate players better. And in my opinion, when you learn more about the women's game, we can take those lessons and apply them to the NHL, to men's hockey, and learn more about the sport as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we're and I don't know, maybe, Sean, if you had a, a question. We're getting a little short on was, time here. I was so going to say, we're getting a little yeah. short on time. We could probably <laughs> go on forever. I'd, we could. Yeah, yeah. We could go but, on with that. Yeah, I was going to just say, I think you were, on, to your point about engagement and getting you know fans interested, I, I was kind of curious if there's anything heading into next season. Like, what are the, maybe the uh, one or two of the big storylines, and maybe who are a couple players that um, maybe some people haven't heard of that we should maybe watch for or tune into to watch uh, in, in the next uh, next season? I'd, I would be remiss if I didn't plug the good work of a couple friends. So before I before I, I'll do that, I'll make sure to say a couple names. I said Mikhail. I said Carly and Alyssa. Um, those are all folks everyone should follow. Um, Ann Gwen does great work. Jeremy yeah. at Giants in the Crease does really great work. He does great work specifically with goalie stats. Um, Spencer Fischetta does great work. He used to work for the Princeton Women's Hockey Program. Yeah. Um, ben Howell built a great scraper uh, that helped us understand men's hockey. Dave McPherson is a great site for anyone who wants to just have like a look at what women's hockey is out there, specifically for NCAA data. Pick224.com. It's also a good resource for uh, for men's hockey prospects. And uh, Nyan Patel does great work. Well, you have to forgive me for reading like an Oscar speech right there. Um, So we'll have to we'll we'll put (laughs) we'll put all the Twitter handles of the people. We'll put an article out and we'll put we'll put the Twitter handles so that people can go check them out. Yeah, Um, I'm assuming most people are on Twitter or the websites that you listed. So we'll Um, do that. I mean, the the couple of storylines, I guess we touched on already, like MGM, Michaela Grant Mentis going to Buffalo is huge. I love that, you know, the underdog of, of the league got the best player. That's so fun. Um, yeah, yeah. The thing that is so fascinating is, in my opinion, one of the biggest stories is Montreal is kind of this stronghold for the PWHPA, and the PHF just established a team there, and they signed a bunch of players, including Anne Sophie Bate, who was on Team Canada and had like an unbelievably brilliant career in the CWHL. Like one of those players where she always struck me as this example of like, this is why we need pro women's hockey. Because someone as good as Anne-Sophie Bate often ends up as like, oh, sorry, you're the last cut from Team Canada. <laughs> See yeah. you next game, right? Yeah. And it's like, but I'm I'm this good. And it's like, ah, sorry. But we get to see her play pro again in a regular season because the PWHPA is more of a barnstorming thing. So I would say it's really fun to see how Montreal shapes up. Um, it's really fun to see how Boston shapes up because so far their team is like the Harlem Globetrotters like their signings announces like i don't know how they're fitting everyone under the cap it might be why they're not exposing uh their contracts or or disclosing them but uh it's getting a little nutty in terms of who they have signed but it's going to be a really exciting year and i'm really curious to see what the heck happens with the pwhpa league because it's august 3rd uh yeah and they don't have all the building blocks 
contracts down for a league and they wanted to play next year. So we'll see what happens. That's to me, that's the biggest story that everyone is just kind of nervously looking around like, are they going to do it? Is it actually going to be this year? Because we're running out of time. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's August. They got to have, they got to get rinks. They got to get teams. They got to get hockey operations. They got to organize travel. So we'll see what happens. But um, one way or another, it's been an unbelievably historic offseason that changed everything. So I, in my opinion, it's probably changing everything for the better. So we'll see what happens next. Awesome. And I guess, um, where could people find you? Where would you prefer to be found? Uh, your Twitter. <laughs> where would you prefer to be found? Uh, <laughs> ideally for me, nowhere and never. <laughs> uh, but the ice garden, um, and on Twitter, I'm at dig deep BSB. Um, I have the site, their hockey counts. I have behind the benches that I have with Shayna, which is fun. Um, but yeah, you can find me at those places. You can read every once in a while. I write about the Rangers at blue shirt banner, but I think it's the, like the worst kept secret in the world that the thing I actually care about is women's hockey. Now <laughs> it kind of got its hooks into me. So it's, it's over. So, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Well, sorry for rambling so much. I'm the worst. No, 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 no. It's perfect. That's the theme of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That is the theme. Well, Luke, uh, hey, come on. <laughs> no, thanks so much, Mike, for joining us. This has been awesome. This has yeah, been it's absolutely been great. great. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah.